0: Sins Invalid is a performance group like no other. Founded in 2006, Sins Invalid is a performance project that's rooted in disability justice. They explore embodiment, identity, and empowerment in a fundamentally intersectional way that's conceived and led and driven by people of color who have disabilities. The group does some really provocative and radical work. In 2013, Sins Invalid made a documentary about their work. Here are some of the voices from the trailer.
1: Sex and disability are two words that you don't often hear together. And if you do, it's like, ah, those people
0: have sex? So here's the exciting news. Sins Invalid has a brand new show. It's called Birthing, Dying, Becoming Crip Wisdom, and it's running in mid-October at the ODC Theater in San Francisco. Writer Essie Smith interviewed Sins Invalid co-founder Patricia Byrne about complicating representations of disability in our media, about moving away from a binary view of disabled or able-bodied into a way of seeing the diversity of the ways bodies work. Let's listen in.
2: First of all, I'm a huge Sins Invalid fan. I've gone to a lot of your shows. I love your work.
0: Oh, that's so flattering. Thank
2: you so much. It's great to hear. So what is the incubation and working process like when you're preparing a show? Everyone
1: has an independent voice within the show. And, you know, so every piece has an arc, so to speak. And simultaneously, there's one overarching arc within the show. So that's why we're able to put um, excerpts on, you know, YouTube or tour specific you know, pieces, but it's not a cabaret in that they're not kind of disjointed pieces. they're all they're all leading and weaving one arc within the show, um, which again follows the um, arc of birthing, dying, and becoming who we are. And you know we all have iterations of of this in our own lives, either when we came out, birthed ourselves, so to speak, as queers or as people with disabilities. Um, I mean, I know for myself, I've been functionally disabled all of my life, but I really kind of came to a political identity around disability when I was um, in my 20s reading Essex Hemphill as, um, you know, a, a black gay poet and author. And he talked about, you know, essentially multiple forms of uh, oppression and resistance. And I was like,
2: oh my God, that's just like me. Something that I noticed kind of thematically emerging with this show is a lot of discussion of aging. And I feel like aging and disability independently are really scary topics for a lot of people. And together are like almost a third rail of life in that (laughs) <laughs> They're both in many ways inevitable for so many of us. So what has exploring that been like?
1: You know, it's very different um, as a person with a disability, you know, to be, so I'm 49 right now. Um, it's very different to be 39 in general than to be 49. Like Our bodies really change when we hit 40. And, um, you know, particularly um, having a disability, uh, we joke that, you know, crip years are like, not quite dog years, not like every year is seven years, but it's definitely not a one-to-one ratio. Um, We're used to talking about things that are scary or complex, and, you know, that's just kind of part of the parcel, I think, of being, of having, you know, a non-normative body, be it because of disability or, you know, for someone that perhaps is gender non-conforming or perhaps, you know, Within white supremacy has always been, you know, pushed to the margins um, in terms of our bodies not being centered. Like even though we are the global majority, we're you know we're taught in the U.S. that you know our experiences as people of color are not um, are not common. You know that somehow we're a minority um, anyway. So the point being to, um we're used to talking, you know, about uh, things that are difficult.
2: One thing that I've always really admired about Sins Invalid is the very explicitly intersectional from the front nature of the project and the people who are involved. What kind of response do you get to that, especially in the disability community, which is, speaking as a white disabled person, really heavily white dominated?
1: I think sometimes people are, I don't want to say shocked. The first word that came to mind is aghast, <laughs> because a lot of times people in the disability community, in my experience, um, are just loath to talk about any other system of oppression, be it you know gender-based oppression or heteronormativity, white supremacy. I mean, any nature of things. I think people are more inclined to talk about class. Um, But really, you know, historically, the disability rights movement has been very single issue focused. If people are expecting a disability performance, I think they're going to be surprised because it's not like that's not the totality of who any of us are. And it's certainly not the totality um, of my identity or of any of the performers identities.
2: You make an interesting point. When you talk about the expectations of the viewer or the listener and in in terms of coming to a performance and expecting a disability variety show and not getting that, one of the things that I've noticed at the performances that I've attended is that you do an excellent job of breaking down the notion of disability as monolith, that even within disability embodiment is hugely diverse. And when you're adding these intersectional identities, it gets much more layered.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. When we're talking about people with disabilities, and we're talking about every, we're talking about, you know, people that experience their body in some way non normatively, or their minds, or their uh, emotional processes. Um, and, you know, of course there's going to be variants. I mean, how could there not be variants, right? And just at a certain point, it's considered a disabling variance in this culture. Um, you know, when things like, we can really see when it, when it comes to things like vision, you know, where at a certain point someone is considered uh, visually impaired or blind, and up until then, you know, you just go to sight for sore eyes, and that's not considered mobility aid, you know, and it's like, that's really interesting, (laughs) you know, that glasses of contacts aren't considered mobility devices or rather adaptive devices, I mean to say.
2: I feel like there's kind of a slowly growing social awareness that disability is not just a medical problem, but actually an identity and a social embodiment, as it were. Do you see that change as well?
1: Yes, and it's really exciting because um, I feel like we've done a lot of work on people with disabilities over the decades to shift that, and um, it makes me really proud of the work of the disability rights movement, Um, and moreover, really proud of the work that we've done uh, setting forth and and uh, pushing a disability justice framework. I think that there used to be such shame identifying as disabled that um, no one would want to claim it. And I'm not saying that's still not true in the majority of, you know, at least what I can speak to most, I feel like you know most clearly is in the United States. Um, but at the same time, um, it's absolutely shifting maybe not everywhere but it's shifting you know where people are able to identify as both hot and disabled <laughs> you know and we never heard that before since invalid to be honest I'm not saying sins and invalid was like the reason or is the reason I think it's one of many 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 reasons but I do feel like we also made a a good contribution to people being able to identify as disabled and whole.
2: So speaking of being hot and disabled, I promised we would talk about sexy goodness. So let's talk about sexy goodness. Uh, This has been foregrounded in so many of your performances and so much of your work. Does it completely freak people out that you dare to put sex and disability in the same sentence? Uh, Not crips,
1: but... Yeah, able of people are like, oh, my God. And then I forget sometimes. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. And so just the idea of disability and sex freaks people out. But then also, you know, sometimes we have SM content. Sometimes we have, like, we'll go there because that's reality, you know. Um, and it, like, people seriously are like, what? 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 <laughs> um, the first year, we actually had... People um, bringing children like not infants but you know like eight, nine year old people uh, to the show and I was shocked because it was explicitly said it's a show about sexuality and disability and if it had been any other community you know people would not have thought to bring a child if it was about you know you know the sexuality of black men you know or sexuality of you know, tran, intersections of sexuality, you know, trans identity and um, anything. You know, people would not have brought children because they would say like, oh no, that's definitely gonna be racy. But sexuality and disability, like they think it was gonna be like a, you know, like a rehab talk or something. And then, you know, there's an, an artist on stage with like a 10 inch strap on doing a strip and like super grimy, awesome, you know performer and people like, I'm not exaggerating, ushering, like running their children out. I was like, well, you know, that's what's good.
0: writer Essie Smith talking with Sins Invalid co-founder Patricia Byrne. Again their new show brand new material is called Birthing Dying Becoming Crip Wisdom and you can see it in San Francisco this October.